All right, guys, you're here with Josh Thompson, here with uh, Big John McCarthy. Man, sexy as Look always. Look at you man. there, brother. <laughs> Look at you. Bellator versus Bellator. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I got the Adders, though. Oh, yes. I actually like that one. I got, I got the, uh, the Tel Aviv one. I think that's only I the don't third. I have that shit. one. See? Yeah, I got lucky though. I hustled it. You know who yeah. I hustled it from was Kogan. <laughs> you had to that's know that he had probably an extra one. He's probably got like four or five of those hidden in his closet somewhere. Anything you can hustle from Kogan, you're doing something <laughs> special. I got to hustle one of those twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars watches he has. That's <laughs> well, what I got to get. Or the or or the shoes he wears, Jeez. or the t-shirts. His product, Mr. Fashion. His man purse that he has is like probably worth like ten grand. Jeez, dude, that, that man purse he has is worth more than me. It's insane. <laughs> it's so crazy, unbelievable. I can't believe. And he wears it, and I'm surprised he wears it so well. He wears it all the time, everywhere I see him. He wears that, and he wears his nice shoes. He's always got the newest kicks. It's funny. oh, he's always got the newest, the newest Adidas with the right. He's got the the spelling down the front yeah. and everything. You look and you go, well, look at you. Well, yeah, and then he'll tell you the story about how he waited. Online, just like bidding as fast as he possibly could. Every time someone outbid him, he bid. He's he's like on the websites trying to to buy them off eBay, doing all these. I'm like, man, that's that's too much for a pair of shoes. I don't know where he gets the time. He's always running somewhere for doing yeah. something for something with Bellator. That, that guy works his ass off. Yeah, so he's a hard worker. My for hat's sure. off to him. Him and Coker's son uh, Jordan. Both of them. They've been hustling, man. Both of those guys are. Oh, dude, I was just with Jordan last week because we did we just did a uh, breakdown with Matt Mitrione. It went really good. He was yeah. uh Jordan Jordan is uh Jordan's doing some hot stuff, man. He understands what is cool. Yeah. He is he's got he's got that eye. Yeah. No, he does. It's funny because he took over the social media networking for for Bellator and it grew almost uh a million and a half followers in like less than a, a little over a year. <laughs> That's there you go. remarkable. Yeah. He's doing he's doing a fabulous job. Fabulous job. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, and just such a good guy. Yeah, um, that's the best part. He's funny. That dude. That dude is funnier than hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Kogan, both of the two of them together are hilarious. No, they're they're horrible together because you can't get them to stop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So we're gonna talk uh, a little bit about basically the two boxers that passed, and <sighs> um, can you pull that up, Dave, for me, please? And the one thing that a lot of people had talked about it, and just um how fighters are and in the corner and what yeah. goes on and you've been there and you've seen corners probably pleading with their fighters like hey let's stop this fight or like hey you got a little bit more left in you i'm gonna let it go but if i see more from you i'm gonna stop it but you've got a world-renowned trainer in buddy mcgirt uh working max's corner and it's just he just doesn't seem to hear him when he's saying, I'm going to stop the fight. I'm going to stop the fight. And he's telling yeah. him no. And <clears throat> do you think there's a little bit of loss in translation? Because he turns to his, obviously, somebody else that Max thinks is like what, his confidant. And he says, hey, tell him that, I'm gonna, that I need to stop the fight. And they kind of both look at each other like it's no, like you can't. It, as, as a, from a fighter's point of view on my side, when you have someone who truly cares about you, like I've had Javier in my corner and Bob Cook, Bob Cook's been in my corner longer than Javier has been, you know? Yeah. And um, if, ha if if Bob was to turn to me and say, Hey, I want to stop this fight. I, I would, I would just automatically shake my head. Yes. It, just because I know like what Birdie, buddy McGirt said in the corner afterwards, he said, I'd rather have him mad at me for a couple days 
than the rest of his family being mad at him for the rest of his life, which I would imagine they're probably still a little upset. You know, look at you got you got to look at this, and there, there's so many different elements to this entire process, and, and it's a process because you do you've got the fighter, which you have been, and your whole thing is, I go, I'm going. And I'm going to give everything I have. And that's what Max is doing in this fight. And if you go and you watch the fight, Max is taking, he's in the fight, but he's taking the big, heavy blows. He's taking the shots that, and you know, this is the difference when, when people talk about fights and they talk about, oh, well, the, the punch stats were almost even. No, you're looking at sometimes a guy, he's throwing shots. And it's like a it's like a BB gun hitting somebody, and the other guy's throwing shots, and it's a forty five caliber just just ripping him apart. Mm-hmm. And you can see in this fight, Max is taking the heavier shots. When we, and when you're talking about a trainer, like look at Buddy McGirt was a world champion. Buddy mm-hmm. McGirt was the lightweight world champion at one time. Buddy McGirt came up through the ranks. He has been a great fighter. He is a fantastic trainer. I know Buddy. I've done stuff with him. He cares about his fighters, and he is one of the few because it is a rare instance where you will find a trainer that will stop the fight. I've been there with Freddie Roach when Freddie has said, hey, I'm going to stop this fight. If you don't show me something in this next round, I'm telling you I am stopping this fight. You're getting hit too much. And now Freddie goes back in time. you got to take a look at who was his trainer. And look at what happened with him because, you know, Joe Frazier had a trainer in Yank Morton that that was the guy that was with him when he fought Ali in the beginning. And then his his trainer changed. And I'm, I, I'm going brain dead on his trainer's name. But that was the same trainer for Freddie Roach. And that trainer took care of Joe Frazier in the thrill of Manila, told him, I'm not letting you go back out. This fight's done. When Ali was going to quit on the stool, says, I can't go anymore, Joe Frazier's trainer takes him out of it. He's the one that told Freddie Roach, no more. I'm not going to train you anymore. I'm seeing things in you, son. I can't do this. And so those guys are out there, and they are gold because they are willing to say, you can be mad at me. You can get rid of me as a trainer. I will lose money because I love you. And I'm not going to let you take this damage. And that's what Buddy McGirt is doing there. And the fighter is the fighter doesn't want to give up. And I've had instances, you know, being a referee, you see this all the time. Someone just posted, you know, a a little clip of Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler between round four and five. And it shows me going up and saying, Rory, look at me. I mean, I'm sorry, Robbie, look at me. You know, how you feeling, bud? And he says, I'm fucking great. Yeah, and that's what you're looking for. I said, yeah. I love that. Boom, and I get off, and I'm going over to Rory. But you, those are the times you see these things in fighters, and you go, Yeah, he's good. And look at at that time, Robbie had a he had a laceration yeah. in his lip that was all the way through. He had a three and a half inch cut on the top of his head. He was a mess too, but he hadn't taken the the damage that Rory had taken, and he was showing that. But when you look at the fight with Max, you know, Buddy Buddy pulled that trigger just, a, you know, you can see it about round seven, he's a different fighter. Yeah. And I don't even know if Buddy had stopped it at round eight if it would have made a difference. I think Max would have been in trouble. You could have stopped around maybe round seven, maybe it would have. You'll never know. But Buddy McGirt did exactly what you would want someone to do. 
The fighter doesn't want it, but the fighter needs to understand and respect that trainer. That trainer sees things. The fighter doesn't see him. You know you don't see everything in a fight. In fact, be honest. At the end of a fight, it's like little Polaroids. Yep. You don't remember the thing like a video. You remember just select pictures of it. And the, the trainer's seen it all. And their job is to train you, but it's also to protect you. Yeah, the I, I try to use this as an example is in terms of you trust them to train you. They trust you. Trust them to travel with you. You trust them to take care of you for your weight cuts. You trust them in your corner to yell out directions. So why don't you trust them to stop the fight? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. When they look at yeah. you, I, I understand. I think all good trainers should look at their fighter and understand. I think this, he showed that he, he was paying attention to his fighter and the shots he was taking. But yep. <clears throat> there has been times where I've heard Bob Cook tell him, like, hey, you better show me something in this round or I'm going to just stop the fight. He's like, you yeah. need to go out there. Like here, I'll get, and I, it wasn't like, it wasn't as if, um, it wasn't as if like, uh, I was getting hit with big shots, but I fought when I fought Gil the second, the second time. And we had a great fight. I, to me, I feel like that was probably one of the best oh. fights ever in MMA history. But in that, that fight fifth, was awesome. In that fifth round, going out for that fifth round, Bob's like, Hey, you need a knockout or you're losing your title. And if you recall in that fifth round, I just came out just gunslinging to the point like that De La Hoya when he fought, uh, gosh, it's slipping my name. He fought someone and they came out in the 12th round and he, De La Hoya just went after him for the whole 12th round trying to get him out of there. And he couldn't get him out. Oh, man, I can't remember who it was. Like, ah, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, but it was probably one of the best fights I had seen up until in that 12th round. De La Hoya tried to get him out of there. I tried to do the same thing, but they, I, you like to hear the corners tell you those things. And be honest with you, you're going to lose your title in the fifth round. You're going to lose your title if you don't go out there and knock him out. You're, you need, this fight needs to be stopped because you're taking too many shots. Or if you don't give me what you got in the first minute of this round, I'm stopping the fight. Like, give me everything you got. I want to see something out of you. Now, there's guys, too, that just clam up and don't fight. Okay? And then fighters... Oh, yeah. Fighters should just stop, and, and corners should, and I've seen, I've heard corners, I can't recall who, I've heard several corners tell boxers, hey, you're not fighting, I'm going to stop the fight just because you're not fighting, there's no reason, you're not even throwing any punches, so there's no yep. reason for you to take any shots if you're not going to fight, and yeah. they're just doing them a favor for taking, uh, there's no reason to take any more damage if you're not going to fight yeah. back. And it wasn't like they were yeah. hurt or injured or whatever. They just they just clammed up and something happened. It wasn't their night. We've all, I've had those nights where I just didn't feel like fighting that night, and it just well, well, you know that's the one thing that's funny about people is they look at fighters and they think that every time that they step into that ring or that cage, oh, they're a hundred percent, they're ready to go, they're feeling good. That's just not the way it is. <laughs> sometimes you do, you feel great, and sometimes yeah. you want to be anywhere but there. You feel like crap you know you're you're just sick and there's all kinds of things but the one thing i hear fighters sometimes and, and i've seen fighters when a trainer has stopped the fight and all of a sudden they're going to another guy and they say well you know what if he didn't believe in me i gotta have someone that can believe in me and you look and you go hey that's not yeah. him not believing in you that's him believing in i need to take care of you because you're not doing your job at this moment the way it needs to be done yeah. And I'm not going to let you just become a punching bag. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's what a trainer is for. Look, at, there's all kinds of levels of safety when it comes to fighting, because look at fighting is not a game. You know, we, we talk about it all the time. You can play, 
you know, football, you can play baseball. You don't play fighting. Nope. Okay. Fighting is serious. It is. I, I don't like to when people say it's life and death, but it can be. Mm-hmm. It really can be. And, and every fighter knows that going in. No matter what, I know, you know, when you went in, you were like, I'm going to be fine. But always in the back of the mind, you knew I could get seriously hurt here. Yeah. It's just part of it. And sometimes, you know, our people give everything they have and that's the end and and you never want to see it. But the one thing that, you know, the big difference, there was another fighter who died the same week. Yeah. Hugo, You go and you start looking into that situation and where that fight took place. The first fight with Max took place in Maryland. That was in North America under the Association of Boxing Commissions. The second fight took place in Argentina. And, you know, this is where regulation and athletic commissions come into play because that fighter was on a suspension. That fighter had been knocked out one week prior to that fight. And they called down there saying, you should not let this man fight. They let him get in that ring. And that was his last moments in that ring. And now they have to live with the fact that they allowed something to go on knowing that that fighter one week ago had been knocked out. Was he knocked out in training or was he knocked out in another fight? Because, you know, sometimes they... Oh, man. That's I, I didn't hear that, and I, I didn't do a whole lot of research on the second guy getting knocked out. I was yeah. obviously being a former fighter, or being a if you can still call me a fighter, or whatever. But it, I just got that, <laughs> I got that, that you're, those chills. You're a fighter for life, baby. You get those chills though, you know, when you start hearing about guys dying in the in the whether it's a ring or a cage or anything else, you start getting those, and it just it starts rubbing you the wrong way. And uh, oh. after that, when I heard about Hugo dying in, down there, I just was thinking to myself, man, I don't want to hear about this. This is just too no, it's, it's too close to home. Yeah, and, and those are the situations you look at those those are the ones man you know don't do it. It's yeah. not worth it. You know, take care of yourself. You're asking for a disaster and when the disaster happens, you know, who do you blame? Well, you blame everyone that didn't do what they should have done. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sad, it's unfortunate. Um like you said though, this is it's, we kind of knew we knew what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah. You, just, you never want to see it end like this, especially for two guys. One's 28, one's 23. And it it, it could have been, it, I guess it could have been avoided had the fights been stopped earlier. But we, I think what overall makes coaches and trainers and boxers not want to quit is if you take fights, and I, I know I'm using a, a classic fight and it's that people will probably always look back to is Diego Corrales and uh, Castillo. Castillo. Yeah. You see that fight, right. And how Diego Corrales comes back and wins the fight, but it's like, he got dropped a couple times in round, I think 10, then he got dropped again in round 11 and then he comes back and he knocks him out in round 12. And, but his, but in all fairness, his corner uh, was telling him after time, every time he put his mouthpiece in, you need to knock him out. If you don't knock it out, this is it. Like he's telling him that. You know, and he's letting them know, like, this is it. Like, you go out there, you need to f- let them have it. And so in that fight, when you – I think every fighter or every corner starts to think, like, my guy can do that. And yeah, it doesn't always end up like that, and that's the problem. Well, and, and that's – the whole thing is exactly what you're saying is people will look at a moment like that. They'll look at a moment like Czech Congo against Pat Berry where he yeah. comes back 
and they'll go see men people can come back and it's like yes they can yeah and that is so rare yep it is so rare that they come back that way normally generally usually what we have is we have a fighter who ends up in a position now where they have been damaged to the point they're leaving a large portion of who they are in that cage or in that ring forever based upon letting it go too long. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, you had talked about, um, you know, how Max was like taking the bigger shots and he was landing some shots as well. The punch stats yep. doesn't know, don't always shows that show that, but to go on to our next topic in our conversation which would be max and for uh max holloway and frankie edgar has oh. that obviously frankie didn't take as much clean shots like like the other max in boxing did but exactly to, to correlate your how you did that was that max holloway was hitting frankie and it was stopping him in his tracks with a jab or a right hand or an uppercut whereas frankie was hitting him and max and and holloway was just walking right through it and that's exactly. kind of the re- that's kind of what we were talking about. Now, then I guess for me, what was your overall takeaway from the fight itself, and where do you go with both guys? Well, man, you, you look at the fight. The, I look at it, and here here's the thing. And what made Frankie Edgar, in my opinion, who he was at 155 pounds when everyone said hey, you're too small for that weight class. You should move down and everything. It was the speed that Frankie brought into the fight that created nothing but freaking problems for people. He was so fast with his movement, so elusive, and so hard to touch. And he didn't get touched a lot. And that made him a success. He was tough as nails. If he did get hit with a shot, he was durable. But he didn't get touched that much and as you go down in weight classes the speed increases and you know we talk about this all the time with guys in weight cuts and we get these guys that are going from 170 pounds down to 155 pounds and i'm going to be the bigger stronger guy and you go bud that's not the way to look at this because you're going to be the bigger stronger slower guy yep and the bigger stronger slower guy usually gets his ass handed to him yep and so, you, you know, you look in this matchup with Max, Frankie was not only the smaller guy, he's also, he's the slower guy. Yep. You know, Max Holloway is actually a touch faster with his hands than Frankie because when I say that, they're close, but Frankie is not setting his feet and throwing shots while Max is setting his feet, throwing those shots with at least the same speed and it has a lot of power and snap behind it. You could see every time he would he would take and just he would bring his hands down and whack that that left hand would come out. You'd see it stop Frankie in his tracks. Yep. And then when Frankie would come in, and a lot of times Frankie throws, he's hitting air, but he then he touches his opponent, and and Max just got hit by him, and you could see he just walked right through them. They didn't have enough power, enough sting to make him worry or adjust in what he was doing, and he just knew, I can set my feet, and I can just start diminishing who you are as a fighter, and you saw that round after round. Not that Frankie was not fighting, and fighting a very good fight. Mm -hmm. You know, I honestly believe Frankie Edgar will, to the day he stops fighting, he's going to be a handful for anybody. He is that good of a fighter in that he has 
elements that he brings into it. His takedowns are very good. His takedown defense is outstanding. His stand-up, he's got a lot of movement. He's hard to deal with because he, he makes you move. But where, is he, where does he go from here? It, you know, A lot of people are talking about he's, uh, he needs to go down to 135. I don't think that's a good thing for him. You know, I really don't. And you can take a look. You know, he's got a teammate in Marlon Marais, or even even almost Aljamain Sterling. And you look at those guys are every bit as big as Frankie right now, but they're also fast and they're faster. Yep. And when you talk about going down in weight, man, it's not what people think. So Frankie's going to have to figure out where he's at. Obviously, with Max, that's just a hard target for you to, to reach to at 37 years of age. Not that he's old. He's not. But his speed is now starting to diminish a little bit based on he is getting older and he's in a weight class that's faster than when where he was very successful in the lightweights. And Max Holloway, look at he if he can continue to just do what he's doing and every fight figure out that what's that one element. And in this in this fight, he utilized that uppercut multiple times throughout. And every now and then you find a tool, and, and instead of throwing it and taking and throwing it with my hand here, you saw him sometimes he's throwing it, and you see it almost throwing it with his thumb up because he's popping the head to hit that hook, and you go, oh, he's got a new toy, and that's bad because you know he's even, he's even more trouble now. Yeah. And I see Max Holloway at 145 pounds. Volkanovski is the one guy, because he has a chin, because he's strong, and because he is just a rockhead in coming forward, maybe he'll give him problems. But other than him right now, I don't see anyone taking out Max Holloway. Yeah, there's a couple things. There's reasons why saying stick around. Speed kills. That saying it sticks around because it's true. True. Okay? And if that saying, if it wasn't true, it wouldn't stick around. And I said this a <laughs> long time ago. For him, he was forced to go to 145. Because the UFC and Dana were like, look, you lost to Benson twice. Da, da. They forced him to go down to 45, which I always thought was a bad idea for him. And, the, and I just, yeah. I'm going to basically regurgitate what you just said, and I've said this for the longest time. When you drop down in weight, the speed of those guys is faster. Okay, Now, your size may be a little bit bigger, or you guys will be mutually the same size, but then they're faster than you. The one thing that he had, it wasn't just so much the speed on the feet at 155. Okay, it was the footwork, it was the speed of the hands. Okay, but it was the way he changed directions on takedowns when he got in. He was able to get in deep and he was able to change directions three or four times to get the takedown. That made it a lot easier. And I trained with Frankie for a couple of years, his first couple of fights in the UFC. And that guy on top of you, for being a small guy, he's got cat-like reflexes. You kick him back, he lands on his feet, jumps back forward before you can get up, and he's doing more work in ground and pound. He's hard to get off of you when he's in the top position. So yeah. when he was forced to go to 45, he had to start dealing with guys that were just as fast. That like The reaction of him getting in, plus they were the same size. His arm range and his range, length and range weren't able to get in there. Like, And I think that was the ultimate thing. Him and Max, speed-wise, were probably the same. But I would say that Max, because Frankie had to take two more steps to get in at all to even land a punch because of the range, he seemed yep. slower because Max could just pot shot him from far away because of the range and the reach and that he had with that jab. Man, he was nasty with that jab. 
That jab oh. looked beautiful. The uppercut, obviously, I think he took that page out of Ortega's book and was able to, to land a couple good clean ones. But And that also made Frankie second guess whether he wanted to get in on the takedown or not. He tried standing you saw him a little hesitated. bit. Yeah, you saw him hesitate, which made it easier for Max to stop the takedowns. I mean, overall, I don't think he should go to 35 either. You know, and it's funny how we joke around how you and I don't agree on a lot, but we actually agree on a ton. <laughs> just about every time. I want to keep telling people we don't agree, but it's just as hard. It's hard to keep selling them dog shit when they know it's the truth. Right. We agree. Um, it's just there, he, there's no benefits of him going down there. And I think he knows how good Marlon Marais is. He knows how good he is. He, he trains with them all the time. Physically, I think he's probably a little bit bigger than Frankie if. If the I'd say the least they're the same size, but oh, I, think, I think Marlon is bigger. You're I right. I think Marlon's bigger. And then on top of that, let's just say he was to go down there, get one win, fight Henry Cejudo for the title. He's gonna have a hard time with that because the speed of Henry Cejudo is amazing. The wrestling is yep. better than Frankie's, no matter how good Frankie is. Like as far as the wrestler, you can't take an Olympic gold medalist and just. It's not going to happen. Like you're not going to be able to get it on the takedowns. It's going to be harder to get the take. And I could see taking more shots against someone like Henry Cejudo or anybody else in that weight class. It'd be hard for him. Yeah. I really, honestly, I agree. I have to, and I never want to say. I, I try to avoid ever saying I agree with Dana White. I don't know what he's going to do. I think he really just should just either he's going to just do it for the paycheck or just say he's had a great career. You know, there's. It depends on what you want to do. It really does. Like, look, I'm okay. I'm okay with guys saying, you know what? I'm just doing it for the paycheck. Because honestly, Frank Yeager, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer. If like when if there's gonna be a first ballot for you, like I could see them retiring you, and you're still fighting because that's what the UFC does sometimes. Is that they retire <laughs> fighters while they're still active? But um, I could. That's their way of saying you should need to retire. But I could see, I could see them, I could see them saying like, "Hey, as soon as he retires, okay, we're gonna induct you soon." Like beating BJ Penn the way he beat him, you know, um, being how considering how small he was, as well as just overall, he always was his top guy, always the number one guy. He couldn't get past the Jose Aldo hump, couldn't get past the uh, Max Holloway hump. He, he just couldn't get there. But man, he was close. I don't think that he yep. would be competitive at 135. I think he'll be competitive because he's always competitive no matter where he goes. But I don't think he's going to beat a Henry Cejudo. He's not going to fight a Marlon Moraes, you know, Sterling and those. I just don't. I don't see it happening, man. I think he'll be right there in that upper echelon, right where he'd be at 45. But it, I, I think he'll have a hard time getting there. And I hate it because he's he's like one of my closest friends in the whole sport, and it kind of saddens me to see to know. But I know at that age, at 37, because I've been there, you know. That you just you you feel your body, it's not the same. As much as yeah. you want to give as much, you want to train as hard as you possibly can. Your body physically is not faster anymore. It's not as fast as it used to be. You're taking shots on the way out that you didn't used to take. Your transitions and your hesitation, you see it a little bit right now. And I got a lot of love for BJ Penn, but you see the hesitation. They hesitate more on whether they're afraid to get hit or when they, whether they're going to land. Like as I got older, I had through. And I almost like waited to get hit in the pocket. When I was younger, I just threw and didn't care if I got hit. And I saw I saw that BJ Penn's last fight, and I've seen it with a couple other guys that are in that 36, 37, 38 range still fighting. And it's sad. Yeah. It truly is sad to see because I feel like it's hard. I think for all athletes, it's hard to figure out like what, what's your next step? What are you gonna do next? Well, you always want to have that, you want to have that target, you want to have that. That, that that's my focus that's yeah. where i want to go that's what i want to be 
And and for, for someone like Frankie, I look at it, look, it doesn't matter if he ever wins a title again, in my opinion. It's a matter of pick what is special to you, what's going to motivate you, what is going to get you excited. And that's what you should just go towards. He's got a lot of fight left in him, no doubt in my mind. He has never been damaged that much. You know, the most damage he's ever taken, he had the fights with Gray, Gray Maynard, Maynard where he got hurt in the first round, and the fight with Brian Ortega. Other than that, every fight he's ever had has been either he has won and won convincingly or it's been a very competitive close fight. You know, his two fights against Benson when he lost the title and then in the repeat. Both of them could have gone towards Frankie Edgar. So, yeah. you know, he's got that ability. He can fight with anyone. So figure out what is going to be that that fight that that's going to get fans excited. That's a matchup. I want to see those two guys for this reason. Yeah, That's what I think Frankie should start looking towards. I agree with you 100%. He needs to figure out what he wants to do. He's just doing it for money, or he just wants to focus on a specific goal. Look, I would yep. love to see him fight Uriah, uh, Uriah Faber. That would be a great fight to me. I, I believe they've There already, you go. Yeah, that's that's a fight I would love to see. Um, you know, they've already fought, but I'd like to see that they've fight already again. They've done it, yeah. I'd like to see that fight again. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's fights. I, there, the other one thing that I would say is, look, if he was to move down, I only want to see the super fights. I want to see the Dominic Cruz fight. I do. I, I, if he was to go down to 135, I'd want to see that fight. That would. Be I don't the, even. Yeah, I look at that. Have Dominic go up to 145. Yeah. Dominic is still the same size as Frankie. Yeah. It's not like true. he's going to be giving anything up. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't care what weight you do it at. You could do it at 140 pounds. You could do yeah. it at 150 pounds. I don't care. That's a fight. Dominic Cruz with his weird movement and the yeah. way he comes about you in a fight, and Frankie. Come on, that is cool. Yeah. I would love to see that fight. Yeah. Outside of Dom getting another title shot, that's the fight that I would like to see the most. I mean, honestly, I, you know between, what? Between 100%. That's the, that would be the fight that would get me the most excited. And then I definitely, you know, hey, I put my That's the kind you put your money down to watch. Yeah. Yep. I agree. The, uh, the last thing we're going to, I wanted to chat with you about um, was contract time. It's always when it becomes, when you become a free market. You're this for me, free, my yeah, contract. Yeah, no. yeah you're, not, no, you're locked down, buddy. You're locked down for a while. Um, uh, when, when you become a free agent and you hit that free market agency, um, there's a lot of things that generally go through your mind. Like, okay, hey, look, I'm going to go to the best bidder. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like whoever pays me the most or where you want to be when you figure out do you want to fight. These are the people that I want to fight. I want to fight this person because either I have a loss to them and I want to get it back or I want to yep. fight over here. And because this person has never been tested, and I know I can go over there and potentially beat them and become champion right away. Chris Cyborg, though, right after her last fight, this is the one thing that went, I noticed that she posted something on her Instagram. And on her Instagram, it was a video of Joe oh, Rogan yeah. saying that she had a penis and Dana White saying, saying basically she looked like, she, he said that she looked like Vanderlei Silva walking up. Uh, on stage, I believe at the in address, yep. yeah, in address, yeah, and she just basically said that she wants to have, um, she she wants to be respected. Well, you know, and th this is the you, you can look at what has occurred just in the last week and a half with Chris coming into that fight against a really good fighter in yes. Felicia Spencer, and that's the one thing that really I think was lost in this whole thing. Yeah. Felicia Spencer is a stud. This yeah. girl, I promise you, Josh, she's going to be a champion. Yeah. She has got an incredible ground game. 
Her top pressure is incredible. Her stand-up is her weakest area, and you can see she's not afraid to stand with anyone because she went in there and she had that attitude of, hey, I don't care if that's Chris Cyborg. I'm going to win this fight. She believed in herself. She went out. She fought so hard and made Chris work harder than she's ever had to work in a fight. She got cut, and you look at all the punches that she threw, all the punches she landed, and at the end, Felicia was still on her feet trying to win that fight. Now, she got beat, and she got beat handily, no doubt about it. But you look at what was being said about the fight, you know, and, and I love Joe Rogan. I think he's a phenomenal uh, commentator, but he was talking about it like it was a close fight, you know, and that Spencer might be winning this round. And I'm like, what fight are you looking at? Oh, you know, okay. Cyborg is landing these huge, heavy shots. Yeah. And then, and then Dana White, you know, I, I understand that he is, look, he's a promoter. And if he's going to lose Chris, I think he's going to lose Chris, not because she doesn't want to be part of the UFC. No, I think she's been hurt. She's a nice person. Yes, she was built. She was built into being this monster of a fighter, this cyborg. But she is. People actually think she has no feelings. Yeah, she is absolutely one of the kindest people you will ever meet. Yeah, she is a sweetheart of a person. She's adopted a daughter. And you know, provides her with a great life. She does things in, for charities all the time, and she is a wonderful human being. Yep. And she's sensitive. And people think because she can fight, she yep. doesn't have feelings. And you know, when when you look at what you know, what what Dana said in the past, look, I, I know why he said that. You know why he said that. Yep. He had a fighter in Ronda Rousey, and here's Chris Cyborg on the sideline, and everyone wanted that fight to happen. And Dana was smart enough to go, I ain't letting that fight happen. Mm-hmm. And so he made comments about Chris like, oh, she's not as good as you people are saying. Now he's saying, oh, you know, maybe she's not, you know, she's a, she was a, was a great fighter, but now maybe she doesn't want to fight the very best because he doesn't have the ability to hold on to her. Yeah. He offered a one-fight contract. That one-fight contract is because he's a winner either way. He's a winner in if she loses to Amanda, he has Amanda Nunez, the girl that beat Chris Cyborg twice, under contract as his champion. He's sitting high. If she loses, if Chris Cyborg beats Amanda, then he has Chris Cyborg under contract. She is his champion. She cannot just go to another promotion. She cannot just leave. He has control of her. So he's in a win-win situation. That's why he's offering the one-fight contract. So he's not being, you know, it's not that he's not being honest. He's just not putting all that truth out there. And you look and you go, I understand why he's trying to diminish her brand right now because he has the possibility of losing one of, if not the greatest female fighter in the sport so far. You can look at Amanda and she's doing great, but the years... There's a big difference, and as those years get on, you know it becomes a lot harder. So, Chris, twenty-one and two as a fighter, has had an unbelievable career. Wherever she goes, if she decides to go somewhere else, they're getting one of the greatest female fighters in the history of MMA. Yeah. So there's there's a couple things, a couple takeaways I have from this. 
Chris hasn't lost since 2005, I believe, right? That Her loss to Amanda Nunes was her yep. first loss since 2005. Right. Yes. Yep. So that was her. That was her. And that was. I believe that was her very first fight. She lost. Very first fight. Yeah. She hasn't lost since. I've trained with her. I've filmed commercials with her. We fought on the same. On a lot of the same cards in Strike Force. Um. She, like you said, is an absolute doll. I talked about this yesterday on my Punk's Opinion. She is a sweetheart. Like you, everything you she just is. said, a hundred percent. She's a sweetheart. Now to move on to Dana White. I normally go hard in the paint against Dana White because that's just me. And um, <laughs> but Dana's just doing his due diligence. What every promoter he's doing does, his job. he's doing his job. He's telling everybody yeah. like, "Hey, I'll offer her that deal. Okay, I'll give her the one fight deal if she wants it. But if she wins, she's locked down because that's in the contract. You can thank BJ Penn for yeah. that, by the way, because BJ Penn left his champion when he beat Matt Hughes, and now that's in the contract. You cannot leave if you're a champion. It extends right. you for a three fight, a guaranteed three fights, and then if you keep winning, it just keeps extending. Okay, you cannot leave as a champion. Um, those of you guys that didn't know that, you can thank BJ Penn for that. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, people, I think people are thinking that he's beating around the bush or he's just, you know, doing what Dana does and trying to lie here and lie. No, he's being very upfront. He's just not telling you, like you said, the full thing of what's going to happen. She's locked yep. down if she wins. And if she fights the one fight, then she leaves and she goes somewhere else. Or we get, we just renegotiate and sign her again. But it'll be obviously for less money if she loses to Amanda Nunes again for the second time. That's exactly yep. what a good promoter is trying to do. So I, yep. and for once, I think, and I think the, all of the shows that I've done for, uh, for, my Sammy the Punk or Punk's opinion or any other thing I've ever talked about. I've always gone hard on the paint against Dana, but Dana's just being Dana and Dana's being a promoter. I think he's doing a great job. That's that part of it. He's doing a good job. He wants to make sure because I've had other promote. I've had other promoters do the same thing. Whereas guys have tried to play the promotion against the other promotion. And so then that promotion said, okay, I don't care if you're our champion, we'll cut you. And they cut him and they said, go somewhere else and try and get money. And it didn't and then that fighter got treated, you know, however way they wanted to get treated over there at that other promotion. You're taking away some of the leverage. Dana's pretty much trying to do that. He's trying to set precedent for the fans as well as the media that she doesn't want to fight the best guys or she's getting older in age. And so maybe it's time for her to move on to where there's easier money. Because I've said this I don't know how many times. She could go to PFL and win a million dollars every year they have that tournament. And I think she would do it pretty easily. Okay, yep. or you know, or she could come over to Bellator and fight Julia Bud and some of our top talents that we have there as well. And but Julia Bud's a very tough fight. For, you know, well, I think, the, the, the one thing you look at not only is Julia Bud a tough fight, the one thing that Bellator has going for it, it actually has a featherweight division. You yes. look at what the UFC has as far as featherweights; they don't have very many. They got Felicia Spencer, they have Megan Anderson. But most of those girls are 135-pound bantamweights coming up to the featherweight division where Bellator has an, a righteous featherweight division with a, a, a good stable of girls that Chris has not fought against. I really think this whole thing is going to come down to, to it's not about the competition as far as who she's, she wants to fight Amanda. No doubt about it. Yeah. Okay? It's going to be, is that more important than her... It's it's her dignity being respected. She has she has been disrespected in her mind by people that are you know the UFC. Those people you know being Joe Rogan if that's if she's upset about that one and Dana multiple times through you know what was said in that video and then maybe through her contract stuff and what's being said she feels disrespected. 
Mm-hmm. I th- I honestly believe if he came out and said, "Hey, you know, I want to apologize to you." I should never have said that. You know, as far as the dress thing, you know, I I did it for reasons, but I understand why you're upset with me, and I want to tell you, I'm sorry. Yeah. And let's just move on from there. I honestly think she would sign with the UFC because she yeah. wants to fight Amanda. Yeah. But I, I don't think that apology is coming, and I do think that's going to be the difference. I think she's going to end up going somewhere else, be it Bellator, be it 1FC, be it she's going to go the boxing route and try to take on Clarissa Shields. Yeah. I My personal opinion is I believe she's going to probably end up Either she's going to stay with the UFC or she's going to move into Bellator. The only reason why yeah. I say Bellator, it's not because I'm I'm a homer with Bellator. It's because she, <laughs> has, she has a past relationship with Scott Coker. She understands yes. and respects Scott. The two of them, I think, yep. enjoy working together from their past. Everything I've ever heard from about Chris Cyborg from Coker has always been... She's amazing. She she he builds her and builds her up on this huge pedestal because that's where she deserves to be. And uh, anyone who's ever been around her, she's like you said. We've said this. I don't know how many times. It's contagious. She is an absolute doll. She's a sweetheart. Yep. She's just that person though that fights really aggressively and really hard. And I think people get that confused, like you were saying, with the fact that she doesn't deserve to be respected as a female fighter. Yeah, well, and you look at the one thing that she's definitely got in the back of her mind, and you, you're bringing it up. Scott Coker put Chris Cyborg against Gina Carano yep. as the main event in Strike Force on Showtime when the UFC didn't have anybody of a female fighting form yep. at that time. That's That was Scott Coker's belief in her and Gina and women's MMA. And I think that... That's going to be a strong factor in, in her decision-making because she knows what she gets yeah. from Scott. But again, she does want that fight against Amanda. I know she does. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't blame her. I, I think I think uh, if they were to fight again, I think it would be a different result because I don't think she would fight the way she fought. She fought carelessly the first fight. Yep. I think if they run it back, she'll fight a lot smarter fight. She'll be a little bit more conservative. She will... Um, be able, she'll just fight a smarter fight. She'll try to mix it up. I think a little bit more, more f- pressing to the fence, possible takedowns. You know, let the let a couple of the kicks and the and the punches go, but keeping her defense a little bit tighter. I think it'll be yep. a completely different fight. I agree oh, yeah. with you though. She's. I don't know if she she wants that fight and wants to win, and then she potentially wants to leave, but she can't do that. And I think that's going to wear on her mind whether she feels comfortable just biting her tongue and just being like, "Look, I'm here because I want to beat her to show that I'm the yep. best." And I'm stuck now for however many fights. It is the question. You never know. We'll find out. <laughs> All right, my man. Well, hey, that's our show today. We tried to make it a little bit shorter than last week's. <laughs> <laughs> so, but good stuff. And then um, what else was I going to talk to you about? There was something I wanted to say. You look good. Well, thank you very that's much. You look, you look, you look that's good. a very nice Bellator shirt. And you look uh Yep. Just summer casual there, man. I try, I try. It's a lot of work. So, it's a lot of work sometimes. You know, I mean, like I've been doing right, a lot of swimming. I, I it's hard got, to look that good. I don't have that problem. <laughs> you look good all the time, right? You look good all the time. All right, well, good. We'll wrap this up and uh, we'll get ready for next week. See you later, brother. All right, my man. Great talking to you. I'll talk to you soon.